This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back to throw is Darnold, looks left, fires one down the left side line, towards the end zone, Robbie Anderson, he's got it, that's a jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell, and Le'Veon Bell takes it, it's for the touchdown! Crowder across the 30, 35-40, Crowder, comes on the Jets, he's going to go all the way, Jameson Crowder! It's intercepted by Mosley, he's going to score, Jim, and he's in! Touchdown, C.J. Mosley! And welcome to a special edition of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We have a big guest on the line today, really excited about this one. Uh, Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News, at NYDN on Twitter. Obviously a big part of the Jets beat. Uh, been there forever and really excited to talk to him. A good friend of mine. I've, I've interviewed him a few times uh, and always terrific, providing great insights. So Manish, uh, how's it going? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. How about you? Uh, I'm good. As I said to you earlier, it is, it is bright and early here on the West Coast, but I'm definitely excited to talk to you. Uh, so let's just let's just kick it off with probably the biggest news uh, surrounding the Jets in this last week, and that's Avery Williamson's torn ACL uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. How do you think his injury kind of impacts Greg Williams' defense and how he's going to call plays? And then on the flip side of that, what do you think of Adam Gase's decision to hold Bell out of the preseason entirely as a result of that injury? Well, in terms of how it's going to impact what the Jets do, now the Jets are going to be a you know 3-4, 4-3. I don't necessarily think it's too damaging, and I know people might say, well, how could how could you conclude that, given that Williamson was such an integral part of the defense last year, he played basically every snap, uh, you know, with C.J. Mosley in the mix now, C.J. was calling the plays, Avery Williamson is a, you know, a really good tackler, extremely smart guy, uh, you know, in position flexible, of course, because he can play the mic as he had in the past, but, you know, his pass coverage uh, isn't necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, isn't necessarily his strong suit. Uh, you know, I think you'll see Neville Hewitt in there. I think you'll see some other guys in there. And I, I know Hewitt wasn't, uh, isn't a Mike linebacker, but that's what he was playing when Avery Williamson got hurt in Atlanta. It's just a, you know, another example of what Greg Williams typically likes to do, which is cross-train players in different positions. And the preseason and practice, of course, are two good opportunities to do that. So having a player like Avery Williamson, an experienced guy, playing alongside Hewitt in that late second quarter was the rationale behind why Williamson was in there. Uh, ultimately, it backfired. And now I do give credit, uh, you know, somewhat, I give credit to Adam Gates for, you know, saying that you know, it, it was his mistake. Because ultimately, he is the head coach, but he has given 
uh, Greg Williams the autonomy to kind of run the defense the way he sees fit. And this was, you know, Greg Williams' decision that was signed off by by Adam Gase. Uh, will it impact the team? Yes. And just how significant it will be remains to be seen. Because Hewitt, as you guys know, he did a pretty good job in the final month of the season last year uh, when uh, Darren Lee was suspended. Uh, you know, he is a special teams player by and large for a reason. So it will be interesting to see when he gets exposure for a full season, what kind of player he actually is down to down. But uh, will the Jets take a hit? Yes. Uh, you know, can they overcome it? I, I absolutely think so. And in terms of the impact it had on Le'Veon Bell, look, I don't think Le'Veon Bell was playing uh, on Saturday against the Saints, regardless of what happened with Avery Williamson. And, and Adam Gase you know, pretty much said so. I think he said in his mind he, the decision was made, you know, it was like 99.9% that he wasn't going to play Le'Veon Bell and this kind of cinched the deal. Uh, I don't think it makes much sense. Uh, I know some people might disagree in terms of trying to get Bell into a flow and a rhythm with uh, the new pieces and players around him. But let's be honest, the, the, the full offensive line is not even going to play on Saturday. Not, neither one of the guards in all likelihood is going to play. Ryan Khalil is going to get his first action at center. So it's going to be a makeshift offensive line in this third preseason game. So I don't know, you know, if your argument is that Bell needs to get in sync with the offensive line, well, you know, I don't think that starting offensive line that you're going to see in week one is going to be playing on Saturday night. And, and I'm of the belief that, you know, playing running back in this league is like riding a bike. And if you've got 1,600-plus touches uh, on your resume, even though you haven't played since January of 2018, you get hit a couple times and then, it's like muscle memory, and I think that based on what I've seen and heard, what I've seen in practice and what I've heard from inside the building about how they feel Le'Veon Bell is in terms of condition and shape and readiness, I don't think it you know, made any sense, regardless of what happened with Williamson, to play Bell until week one when the Bills come to town. So speaking of Bell, and, and we all know how talented he is, all the different ways that he can impact an offense with his ability to catch out of the backfield, line up out wide, pass block, whatever you need him to do, he can do it. But you've been in there in practice uh, throughout the spring, all summer, throughout training camp. So what have you noticed anything unique about the way Adam Gase has used Bell in his offense? Anything that uh, we might see from Bell this season that we haven't, that we might not expect based on what we've seen from him in, over the time he spent with Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah. Now, what I have to tell you is that I, I can't uh, reveal specific deployment i think that's against team rules and the last thing i want to do is do anything against the team you know and get them uh, ticked off at me but uh he actually it is funny because there's a couple things one specifically uh stands out in my mind that i've seen him do with bell that uh in a closed practice that i i did not see him at least i don't remember seeing the steelers use him uh it's an interesting wrinkle i mean i don't know how often it'll be used but uh, just generally speaking, you've seen in practice, and these are in open practices as well, you've seen uh, Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery be on the field together. Uh, you, you've seen times when Bell is in the backfield and uh, Montgomery's in the slot. You've seen both be in the backfield and one kind of motion out, out wide pre-snap. Uh, it, it's interesting just having a player like Montgomery alongside Bell. Uh, it, it opens up the door for Gase to use Bell in different ways. But there is one specific way, and I frankly would be shocked if we didn't see it week one against the Bills. This is not something I think that can happen all the time. But there's one particular way that I noticed, at least in the last couple of weeks, and it hadn't been that often, and I can remember two instances. But uh, it's a nice little wrinkle that, you know, maybe maybe Adam Gase can use uh, you know, with Bell uh, at, you know, different points during the season. 
I'm excited about this now. I'm looking forward to something crazy <laughs> against Buffalo week one. I'm looking for Bell to throw three touchdowns crazy. in that game. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if crazy. Uh, I mean, I can give you a hint. There's no possible way you guys would figure it out. But the hint is, if I said Daryl Bevel, I mean that that would be that would be my hint. But it's such a you'd have to like think long and hard before figuring out uh, what that means. All right, yeah, Michael, so- I'll give you five minutes until you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my research for later. I'm gonna figure it out. Okay, if you get it right, uh, you know, hit me up privately and I'll confirm it for you. <laughs> yeah, so, so so running back obviously isn't a need for this team, but there are a few other needs that the Jets could potentially look into upgrading before the season. You have pass rusher, you have tackle, you have the cornerback position especially, and there are a lot of big names out there who could potentially hit the trade market. So do you see the Jets making or at least exploring the market for any sort of big trade for a Trent Williams or a Jadavian Clowney before the season starts? Well, I don't think Clowney makes any sense. Uh, I guess you never say never. I haven't got any indication that Clowney, you know, would be something that they would entertain only because he can't, and just because of uh, NFL rules and the timing right now, you can't sign Dave and Clowney to a long-term deal at this point. Uh, It'd be a different scenario if you could work out a deal, uh, a long-term deal with him before pulling the trigger on giving a draft pick. So, you know, bringing him on, you know, to play, on the franchise tag for this year uh, or whatever it is, the fifth year option, whatever he's playing on, it's a one-year situation. Uh, and then having the uncertainty of, you know, is he going to stay or is he going to go after the season? After you've given up draft pick compensation, uh, you know, logically that doesn't make any sense. So uh, would they pursue him? Or if he shakes free and becomes available uh, after the season? Yeah, yeah absolutely, I think. Uh, you know, i, I got to get a better sense and better handle on how Joe Douglas likes to do things. But uh, right now, I don't think uh, – I don't really think that makes any sense. Uh, Trent Williams is an interesting case because I think half the league would like Trent Williams, the Jets included, if the compensation was right. Uh, right now, the compensation isn't right because, A, publicly, the the Redskins are saying that the, Trent Williams is going nowhere. But, uh, you know, if the price was, was good enough, uh, I, I think they would move him uh, just based – on Williams' uh, desire to never play for them, you know, because of the, the medical staff's bungling of his, uh, you know, of his medical issues. So uh, could they get Trent Williams? I mean, every day that goes by decreases that likelihood, I think. But uh, what's fascinating to me is could they use Trent Williams? Absolutely. Would he be an upgrade at left tackle? Yes, he would. That being said, Kelvin Beecham is a good player, uh, and the Jets have bigger issues at different spots on the offensive line. So uh, would I close the door on Trent Williams? No, because I, I think if, you know, compensation uh, drops, then, you know, then I think you'll see a lot of teams kind of jump in. But as of right now, uh, you know, third week in, in August, uh, my understanding is that the compensation is too much right now. Yeah, and, and regardless of, you know, if it's Trent Williams or, or a corner or a pass rusher, obviously Jets fans want to improve this team, but specifically – they want to improve the offense, want to improve the offensive line and protect Sam Darnold. That's the guy that, you know, Jets fans are excited to see this season. So when we were we were making this list, I said to Michael, you know, Jets fans want to hear about Sam Darnold. So let's let's talk about him. What are kind of the biggest differences between Darnold and, and last training camp? Obviously, it was his rookie year, so they're going to be he's obviously less confident and whatnot um, to, to this uh, to this training camp. New new scheme, more confident. But what have you kind of seen on field, off the field uh, differences between Sam Darnold? Well, look, in terms of personality, he's the same guy that he was when I first met him a year and a half ago. And and based off of people who have known him his whole life, I, I think his personality 
uh, and just the way he carries himself and comports himself as a person is, you know, the same as it's, as it's been. From a football perspective, uh, and this is probably what fans care about the most, uh, is that he is processing information very fast. And this is a second-year player, who, as you guys know, who has, hasn't played the position that long. Uh, that's not to say that he didn't process information fast last year. He just processed information at a at what you would expect a rookie would process information. And, and when you factor in that Jeremy Bates' offense was, you know, is a West Coast scheme, which is typically difficult for uh, any quarterback, let alone a, a first-year quarterback, to absorb. absorb. Uh, uh, you know, I think he did as well as you could possibly expect in terms of processing information. And that's why the thing that's gotten people really excited in the building, and if you're uh, you know, a follower of the team, a fan of the team, this should get you excited as well, is that he – and I, and I, mean, I can't explain why this is. Uh, maybe his brain just works with what Adam Gase's system is like. But he has really picked up Gase's offense quickly. Um, and because of that, there's a ripple effect. If he picks up the offense quickly, he's able to convey different parts of the offense, whether it's in practice or in a huddle in a preseason game, uh, quickly. And that ultimately helps the entire offense. And what you've seen in a small window, you know, it's only been two drives, uh, two scoring drives, I should say, four total drives. But uh, in the first two drives of each of these preseason games, this team has operated at such a fast rate. It was funny because in that first preseason game, I almost thought it was too fast. I could not believe just how quickly this offense was moving, which is interesting uh, because Adam Gates' offenses in Miami uh, were the polar opposite. And so people, you know, come looking in from the outside, we're saying, well, you know, Adam Gates' offense is pretty slow. How, uh, you know, how's this going to translate uh, to to being more efficient with this team? And I think the answer is, you know, it, it's a la- it's a multi-layered answer. But if you kind of just reduce it to simplest terms, the answer is that this offense, Adam Gates' offense, the same Adam Gates' offense that we saw in Miami for three years, will operate at a much faster pace because of the quarterback's ability to absorb information, comprehend information, and process information. He, even in his second season, is much better at doing that than any of the quarterbacks, including Jay Cutler, who had been you know, in the league for a decade. He's better at processing information quicker than any of the quarterbacks that Gase had in Miami. And I think that is a reason why this offense is going to move quickly. And if the move, offense moves quickly, and not always 100 miles an hour, I think people sometimes get that. Uh, mistaken. They think that, well, everything's got to move fast all the time. The key to a smart offense and a su- successful offense is it is an offense that can vary tempo quickly. And that means playing fast sometimes and then slowing it down then playing fast again. We've seen the Patriots do that for the better part of two decades. They're not just a no huddle offense, but they can go no huddle quickly and they can transition back to a slower pace. And that, you know, that change of pace is so critical and so elusive for so many teams because they don't have the quarterback that can do it. And I'm not saying Sam Darnold is Tom Brady. I'm not saying Sam Darnold is Aaron Rodgers yet. Uh, what I am saying is that he's got the capacity to be that. And because of that, this offense will be successful in terms of controlling the pace in 2019. Yeah, that was funny because Michael and I literally talked about that, that controlling the pace uh, last week. Uh, you talk about kind of the differences in Adam Gase's offense in, in Miami under Tannehill and then in Miami slash Chicago with Jay Cutler. The differences in his offense, now you talk strictly about quarterback. Do you think it is strictly on the quarterback, or do you think Gase kind of morphs his offense 
depending on how comfortable he is with his quarterback. Do you, base, basically, you know, based off this training camp practice, do you think that Gase is, has changed his offense a little bit based off his personnel, based off his comfort you know, ability level with Sam Darnold? Or do you think it's just one of those things that, that Darnold is just executing in the offense much better than, than Tannehill was in Miami? Well, I mean, I think we're, you know, you might be saying the same thing here. I, I think that Gates is operating the offense that he has always wanted to operate dating back to Denver. Uh, and I, look, the Jets of 2019 are not going to be the most prolific offense in NFL history like he had with Peyton Manning and Decker and Thomas and, uh, and both Thomases, you know, and I guess it was no Sean Moreno at the time. And he's not going to have that offense because Peyton Manning is a, you know, a special uh, you know, generational type of player that Sam Darnold, you know, entering his second season is not you know, right now. So it's not going to be that type of offense, but in terms of tailoring his offense around what the quarterback can do, yes, that's exactly what Gase does. And, and that's why it's interesting because, you know, the Jets hire Adam Gase and the immediate response is, well, you know, why? You look at his record in Miami, look how slow the offense was moving in Miami, look how predictable it was or how, you know, unimaginative was, you know, throw whatever adjectives you want out there. Just look at those three years in Miami. But you could have all the great ideas in the world. You could have the most creative thoughts, most innovative concepts in your head, but you cannot execute them without the players. And more specifically, you cannot execute them if you're an offensive coordinator, an offensive play caller, without a quarterback who can handle that. And Gase did not have that in Miami. He's probably not going to say that, you know, publicly to anyone. But I can tell you for a fact that's the case. <laughs> and uh, and I can also tell you for a fact that uh, Sam Donald has the capacity to do that. He, he's not there yet, but you've seen enough flashes, and I've heard enough things from people I respect to know that that's possible in this offense. So, uh, you know, and ultimately it's not just Sam Donald. Sam Donald is the most important piece, without a doubt. But other players around him, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunmo, Chris Herndon, uh, Ty Montgomery, Le'Veon Bell, all of these other pieces, the offensive line, literally all the other 10 pieces on offense also have to play at a, you know, a relatively high level in terms of football IQ. Now you're not going to, you know, not everyone's going to be as smart as the quarterback. And you think you understand that, right? Everyone understands that, but you need to have smart players uh, in your offense. And, you know, as of right now, they haven't played a regular season game. So I can't tell you that they've got, 10 really smart players around Sam Darnold. I, I don't really know that. I don't think Adam Gates truly knows that. I think he's got a, a pretty decent idea of which guys can do what based on you know, what they're absorbing and retaining in practice. But, uh, you know, I'll give you, you know, let's, let's pinpoint one guy because we always talk about the slot in, uh, in Gates' offense. Uh, Channing Crowder, or Channing Crowder, Jameson Crowder <laughs> is a very, he's a very smart football player at a very important position uh, in Adam Gates's offense, just like Eric Decker was a very smart football player at a very smart spot, a key spot in this offense. So if you have a smart quarterback who can absorb information, process information quickly, and a really smart guy in the slot who can move left to right, uh, find zones, understand what the quarterback wants, uh, be a you know, quote-unquote security blanket, but also adjust on the fly, that's a really good start to, to this offense. Those two pieces are so critical in Gase's offense, and I think he's got the two right guys. Uh, the big question is, will a guy like Crowder stay healthy? Because that has you know, obviously been the bugaboo for him over the last couple of years. So you already started to kind of answer our next question here. So I was going to ask who you think is going to be Sam's 
favorite target over the course of this year. Obviously, the Jets added Crowder, like you already started to talk about. They added Le'Veon Bell, a guy who's actually caught more passes and averaged more targets and receptions per year than any of the other Jets receivers have over the course of their career. So who do you think is going to be that favorite target this year? Is it going to be Crowder, like you started to mention? Is Bell going to get as many targets as he did in Pittsburgh? Or is Robbie Anderson going to continue to build on what he saw at the end of or the chemistry he started to build with Darnold at the end of last year? So uh, this is a deep uh, pass catching group. Who do you think is going to be that favorite target for Darnold this year? Well, I, I think if you, you know, if you fast forward to January 2nd or whenever the last game is over, and ask me, who do, who do I think is going to have the most targets? It's a little tricky because, like I said, I'm not sure Crowder can play the 16 games. But if we go just under the assumption that everyone plays 16 games, you know, that's not reality, of course. But let's just say for, you know, the, for argument's sake, that is the case. I, I do think that Crowder will have the most targets. It's not going to be any kind of lopsided situation where he gets you know, 125 targets. It, it, that's not going to happen. It, it'll be much more spread out. And if you look at Adam Gase's offense in history, when it was operating at its best, uh, you know, let's just go back to Denver again. I think he had six players with 60 plus catches. Or I, I want to say in, in that Denver season, when they went to the Super Bowl, uh, it was so spread out uh, among the, the wide receivers, Marius Thomas and Eric Decker, uh, Julius Thomas at tight end, the running back uh, Moreno. I think even when he talked about carries, the two running backs, it was something like a 65-35 split. Whatever it was, it was so spread out. And I think you're going to see something very similar this year. So there will be good moments for Robbie Anderson, for Quincy Anunwa, uh, for Channing Crowder. Ty Montgomery is such an interesting piece to the puzzle. Uh, Chris Herndon, when he comes back after the four-game suspension, uh, if, if Herndon did not get suspended and was playing the full season, uh, he could give Channing Crowder a run for his money in terms of, uh, having the high target share in this offense only because, again, he's another player who kind of makes his living uh, in the slot. So I don't think there's going to be uh, a Pro Bowl player out of this offense, uh, pass catching. You know, Who knows what happens with Le'Veon Bell. But uh, from, from a pass catching perspective, I don't know if there's a Pro Bowl player per se, but I do know that there's a lot of good options. Uh, and what I thought was very interesting and probably uh, one of the coolest things that I heard Adam Gase say over the last several weeks is that when he looks at an offense, he looks at the offense as a as having five guys who can threaten the defense. So when a defensive coordinator is preparing for the Jets all week, yeah, he doesn't say we got we got to make sure we take away Julio Jones or we got to make sure uh, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't beat us. There is not a player like that in the Jet offense. However, the trade-off is that you can't sleep or overlook anyone and. In Adam Gase's mind, that is, if not as valuable as having, you know, a guy like Julio or, or Hopkins or, you know, whatever, Devontae Adams, whoever. Uh, in absence of that, or maybe even with that as part of the equation, having, you know, five guys that you have to worry about as a defense is invaluable to Adam Gase. And that's why, uh, you know, that's why I don't think he necessarily believes he needs a quote-unquote star player on his offense, you know, outside the quarterback, of course, because he believes that having quality players uh, that can't be, you know, just dismissed by the opposing defensive coordinator is so valuable. Yeah, this is exciting. I mean, it definitely sounds like this offense has the potential to be, you know, one of the better Jets offenses that, that I've seen in my lifetime. I will say, though, that I heard, uh, I think I heard Channing Crowder at least twice so I think your mind was just flashing back to that Miami Dolphins linebacker that, that feuded with Rex Ryan like 10 yeah, years ago. Yeah, you know, it's, 
It's actually pretty fun. Crowder does media, or he used to in, in Miami, and I was, I, I'd always been on his show. So, yeah, I got Channing Crowder on the brain. <laughs> um, well, you know, you talk about Miami. That's obviously where Adam Gase came from. Uh, and, and we talk about the offense. That's obviously why he was brought in. But the guy before him, Todd Bowles, defensive guy, you know, from Arizona, was was you know arguably a top head coaching candidate at the time in 2015. Some would some would argue that. But had a tumultuous run with the Jets, uh, you know, from just watching you know training camp because obviously Adam Gase hasn't even gone through his first regular season as a head coach of the Jets. What are kind of the biggest differences between Adam Gase and Todd Bowles when it comes to running a training camp and running a team? Well, look, he's got two strong personalities in practice. Uh, with Gase and Greg Williams. Uh, I'll give Gase a lot of credit because he has done what he said he would do, which was essentially hand over the defense to Greg Williams. And you really got, you know, you really got two head coaches out there. Now, ultimately, everything has to go by Gase's uh, desk. He makes the final decision. He's the guy in charge of the entire operation. But if you watch practice, uh, Greg Williams is very much in control of that defense. And those guys look at Greg Williams uh, like uh, – I'll give you an example. Uh, just because I'm familiar with it. It's very much like those Bears teams in 85, right, when you had Ditka and you had Buddy Ryan. And there was such a loyalty uh, with those defensive players and Buddy Ryan. I mean, there's a reason why after they won the Super Bowl, both Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka were carried – off the field on their players' shoulders. The defensive guys had buddies on their shoulder pads, and the offensive guys had Mike Ditka. Uh, I think there's a similar dynamic, just in that respect, in terms of this defense looking at Greg Williams as their leader. Not to say that Adam Gase is not their leader. I mean, ultimately, there's a, you know, from every defensive player that I've spoken to, a great deal of respect with Gase. I, I think a lot of that has to do with how Gase uh, deals with each guy one-on-one. And one of the things I think that got lost after he got fired from Miami and got hired, you know, a couple of weeks later by the Jets, is how he relates to players. Because I know there was, you know, some some rumblings from some players about uh, how they did not like Adam Gase. You know, my my research and reporting at that time was that 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 was you know a little bit overblown, probably not accurate at all. Because what Adam Gase is very good at, you know, let's take away what happened in the off season with Mike McCagnin. That to me is a separate discussion. But just from a coaching standpoint and how he relates to players, it's exceptional. It really is. And I have gotten no evidence to suggest otherwise from people that I've spoken to uh, since you know, before they got hired. You know, I think I wrote a story about how good he is at relating to players one-on-one. And that has really carried over to the Jets. And he does a great job uh, establishing connections with defensive players. So he's not some sparring guy who's, you know, talking in meetings in front of the whole group. But meanwhile, Greg Williams is the defensive coach's real coach, quote-unquote. That's not really how it operates here with the Jets. It's more like Gase is exceptional at having the pulse of of the defense because he knows how to talk to different defensive players, whether it's Jamal Adams or or McClendon or or a younger player like Quinn Williams. there's, you know, that's a good personality trait that he has. He, he's exceptional at that. I don't see that, you know, changing in any way. That really kind of the practices. Your question was how the practices are different than uh, Todd Bowles' practices. Different personalities. Um, you know, sometimes the, you know, the personality that Adam Gates has is effective. Sometimes the personality that Bowles has is effective. You know, I don't know if there's a 
What I do know is that for this franchise and these players at this time, uh, a change was needed. Uh, I think that was apparent. That was obvious uh, by the you know the bottom line production, but uh, just by the you know the the vibe inside the building and have brought a lot of juice to the building, a lot of energy to the building. That's what you need. That's what you want when you get a new regime. We'll see if uh, that translates into wins because ultimately that's what matters the most. But they have not played a game yet. And over the last six, seven months, whatever it's been, uh, I don't think you could have asked for a better transition just in terms of energy, in terms of desire to you know, get rid of this three-year stench. It's really an eight-year stench, but for most of the players, you know, they've only been around for a few years. So I think Gase and Williams have hit the right chords. But again, uh, and I think, you know, I, I think the true test, and this is all great, it's all necessary to build a foundation, but the true test is what happens when things go wrong during the season. What happens when there's some kind of adversity? What happens when the defense gives up a big play that cost them the game? What happens when, you know, Darnold throws a pick that might cost them the game? I mean, how do both sides respond, offense and defense? Uh, you know, offensive play caller and defensive play caller. How do they kind of navigate through the stormy weather? Because stormy weather is coming. <laughs> For all the optimism that we've talked about to this point, this team's not going 16-0. and There's going to be some adversity. And how they ultimately respond in season to the adversity will tell us a lot about whether all of the good things that we've talked about to this point will have actually mattered. Yeah, I mean, look, you talk about the coaching switch, and obviously this is something that, that Jets fans, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, that initially were adverse to, and you talk about Gase's relationship with his players. Who's a player outside of Sam Darnold, because he's the obvious answer, that, that you think benefited most from this coaching switch to Adam Gase? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Uh, well, from the offensive side, I would say Robbie Anderson. Uh, only because... I think the coaching staff, uh, Gates specifically, is really open, and this has been discussed uh, really all offseason. He's really open to kind of diversifying uh, Robbie Anderson's portfolio to not make him, you know, a go-route guy, and that's it. Uh, I think you got to be careful because that is Robbie Anderson's strength, and you certainly don't want to take that away from him because that's what has, to this point at least, made him most effective. But the fact that the coach is giving him freedom to explore in the offseason in terms of his route running, to be more involved in the intermediate area of the field, the short area of the field, uh, the green zone area of the field. We saw that in Atlanta when he had that in-cut, took a blow, uh, but it was, a, it was only like a five-yard game, but it got him on the doorstep uh, before Ty Montgomery uh, scored on the next play, I believe. So the idea of getting this player who's got all of this speed uh, to do more things to help out the offense uh, is is a good thing for this offense, whether that ultimately means that Robbie Anderson can be a quote-unquote complete receiver or not uh, is immaterial to me because the idea that he's expanding his repertoire is most important. Do I think he's going to be a complete receiver in 2019? No, I don't. I don't think anybody realistically thinks he's going to be a complete receiver, but can he uh, be involved in more ways than what he was in the past? Yes, and I think that's what's most important. I think that will serve Robbie Anderson well. Uh, for the Jets in 2019 and for the Jets or whoever in 2020 and beyond. But, uh, yeah, I think that he benefits the most. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I guess I could have said Ty Montgomery because Ty Montgomery could have a new lease on life in this offense based on 
the different ways that Gase is going to use them. Uh, so maybe it's one A, one and one A, Robbie Anderson, Ty Montgomery. Uh, those are the guys, you know, having an offensive-minded head coach like Gase, a uh, creative guy who's open to new ideas. You know, that's a good thing for both of those players. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that. And based on what we've seen in the preseason, especially that Robbie and Montgomery could be two guys who could really benefit from having Adam Gase as the head coach. But on the flip side of that, and going up the defensive side as well, because you have a guy, Greg Williams, who has, you know, his own very particular style that he brings everywhere he goes. Who do you think are a couple of Jets that have that have struggled with the coaching change, whether it be on defense or on offense? Because I, I think a lot of fans look at the addition of Greg Williams and kind of assume that he's going to have a positive impact on everybody. But it, that, that's not always the case when he's changing, you know, just the scheme, just the overall approach as much as he will. Uh, there are going to be some guys who struggle with it. So uh, with the coaching change, other than Mike McCagnan, who do you think has struggled the most uh, with the changes that have gone up uh, on top with Greg Williams and Adam oh, Gase? Well, well, that's from the top rope. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, look, I think there's a benefit to cross-training players, to getting them acclimated, playing in positions that you know maybe they're not accustomed to, maybe they haven't excelled at in the past. Uh, you want, you know, you want flexible, versatile players because you guys are going to get hurt, right? So it, it's a long season, and uh, the, the more you can do in theory, the better. What I've noticed in kind of came out of nowhere because he was signed as a special teams guy. And he really did some good things rushing the passer. And that's primarily what he was doing, you know, rushing the passer. You've seen him off the ball more uh, in camp and in, in the in the preseason. Uh, you know, I'll be interested to see exactly how he's deployed when, when the regular season begins because he's not only played with the starters, but even in practice and in, in the preseason, he's been used with the backups a lot. Uh, I think that actually might be a byproduct of, the, uh, of Greg Williams really being intrigued by guys like, Frankie Louvu and, and Basham and Harvey Langley, who, you know, who was sidetracked with a, with a knee issue, but he'll be back this week as well. Uh, you know, these, some of these younger edge guys, you know, Kafusi, I guess can play you know, on the edge. I mean, a lot of these unproven younger guys uh, at the outside linebacker spot have gotten a look-see with the starters. Um, I don't know if that's ultimately going to hurt Brandon Copeland, but just, you know, upon first blush before they've even played a game, I think he's a guy, you know, who, you know, who might not just be that rush the passer type of guy that we saw a year ago. Uh, the other player is Marcus May. Uh, I'm not saying that Marcus May is not going to be as effective a, a, as he has been to this point in his career when healthy, but uh, you know, he, he he's a little bit behind here, but not, not really being able to take any contact until I guess yesterday. So uh, I want to see how he's utilized. Is he, is he utilized more in the deep post? Uh, are they going to move him around? It's, so I guess he's more of an unknown to me. I, I'm not saying that he's not going to benefit from being in Greg Williams' defense. Ultimately, he might prosper more, but it's just uncertain at this point, uh, you know, a week before the third preseason game. I think there's a big unknown there. Uh, you know, at least I haven't talked about Marcus May that much because he hasn't, you know, hasn't fully practiced. But I, I know that, you know, Gates had some reservations about him because of health issues. You know, when he took over the job, uh, I think he came around to May. Uh, after that, I think that just, that was just his initial impression, and uh, you know it's fair just given what May's uh, injury history has been. But uh, you know, he's an interesting player to me because there, there's a faction of Jet fans who who are still thinking that Adam Gase, I'm sorry, that Jamal Adams and uh, Marcus May are this you know Batman and Robin incredible safety dynamic duo. Uh, you know 
because they showed some flashes, right, as, as, as rookies. And, and maybe that can be the case this year. But, you know, the reality over the last year or so is that that hasn't been the case. And by and large, it's, because, it's been because Marcus May has been hurt. So uh, is it possible that those guys can be, you know, locked down great Pro Bowl caliber uh, corner uh, safeties for the next three, four years, five years? Maybe. But we just haven't seen May stay healthy. So for me, you know, seeing is believing. He's got a, a tremendous amount of talent. He's got a good attitude. He's an incredibly hard worker. Uh, is he injury prone? You know, I hate putting that label on players, but I, I want to see him get through a full season healthy because I think if he can, if he can, uh, he could do some some damage in Greg Williams's defense. But you know, I, for me, when it comes to May, seeing is believing. Yeah, and it, it was interesting what you said about Brandon Copeland because he was a guy who pretty much came out of nowhere last year. Was a decent fit in Todd Bowles' defense, made some plays, and really seemed like he's going to be a guy who was uh, going to play a big role this year. But it'll be interesting to see how well he can fit uh, in Greg Williams' defense with a few other guys, like you mentioned, Kafusi, who are emerging as better fits. But uh, with Marcus May especially, his uh, he's got to stay healthy because, you know, we saw some, like you said, we saw some flashes uh, with both of those guys in 2017 when they were rookies. But May's just got to stay healthy in order uh, for those two guys to be good. But uh, May isn't the only question in that defensive backfield. There are a ton of question marks at cornerback, especially with the depth uh, beyond the top three guys. So uh, my question with cornerback is you've been there throughout the entire offseason watching uh, the defense and the offense go at it. But uh, even though the offense has it seems that the offense has been pretty dominant over the defense uh, throughout, you know, whether it was OTAs, training camp, whatever, it seems that the offense has been really dominant. But it, it really seems like it's been mostly the reserve corners who have been getting beat. Not so much. The top three guys, Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Brian Poole. So how, how do the three starters look? Because we know the depth is a question mark. We've seen it in both of the preseason games so far. We hear about it every single practice. But the top three guys in particular, with Tremaine, with Roberts, with Poole, how have those three guys looked in practice and throughout the offseason? Well, look, I actually thought that Tremaine Johnson was playing well in camp before he got hurt. Uh, he was in and out during the voluntary part of uh, – of the off-season program, and I don't actually, to be perfectly honest, I don't put much stock at all uh, in the uh, voluntary part of the off-season program in terms of uh, what I see, good or bad. Uh, you know, I I think the, uh, there was a guy, I can't even remember his name. Uh, oh, Chad Hansen. Chad Hansen, a couple <laughs> years ago, or maybe even last in the OTAs, he was like, he looked incredible. You know, you thought he'd be like a, like a thousand-yard receiver. And then when training came came around, he disappeared. So, uh, so for purposes of this discussion, I'll take out the the OTA part of the off season. But just starting in training camp, I thought Tremaine Johnson played really well. I really did, and and uh, and I, I was very curious to see how he would do in preseason. Obviously, the hamstring injury will prevent that from happening. Uh, the Jets are targeting him for being ready for Week One against Buffalo, but he is he is a cornerback. You get a hamstring injury. You better make sure you're 100 percent because if you're not 100 percent, this thing is gonna it's gonna pop up on you uh, in the first quarter of week one, or it's gonna hamper you in some way. I, I think Jets fans remember Darrell Revis had hamstring mm-hmm. issues at, at different parts of his career, and that really that really uh, you know limited him. So they better be pretty damn sure that that Tremaine Johnson's hamstring is completely healed before he plays, and even if that means you know waiting until after the season opener to play him. Uh, but it's a, it's a shame in many respects because I really do think. He was playing well. He actually got hurt after he intercepted Sam Darnold in practice. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's Went out in the high note. Yeah, I look. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like Costanza, right? I mean, you go out in the high note. Uh, you, 
you take that you take them out of the equation, and the ripple effect is is enormous. Uh, and I guess we can get that in a minute. But just getting the Brian Poole. So Brian Poole comes in, not really conditioned properly, so he misses a couple practices. Uh, and then in the early part of training camp, uh, Jameson Crowder really has the better of him, and that was evident early. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's made egregious mistakes in uh, training camp. I remember one particular time he and Jamal Adams were not on the same page on something, but that's the stuff that you iron out in training camp. He's a tough player. I like the attitude. I like his aggressiveness. I love his mindset. I think all that is A+. Uh, Now, can he consistently cover the slot receivers this year? Uh, That remains to be seen. Uh, But if you look around the league, I mean, how many teams have great nickel corners? Those are hard to find. Well, of course, right? Because the outside corners are hard enough to find. So, look, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think that he could be, you know, a solid piece. Uh, you know, does that mean he's not going to get beat? No, that doesn't mean he's not going to get beat. He's probably going to beat a bunch, and that's just the way it is. So, uh, I, I just think he's probably one of the the guys a little lower on your list of areas of concern uh, when you talk about cornerbacks. Dow Roberts, look, Dow Roberts early in, in training camp, first week or so, got torched by Quincy and Nunmore. Uh, I remember several practices over and over. Quincy was getting him, uh, you know, in the middle of the field, getting him in the red zone. Uh, you know, like Poole, I don't remember many egregious mistakes over the last week or so in practice. Uh, nothing really jumps out in terms of, uh, you know, a negative in in the limited time he's been in the preseason. But this is a big concern. And this uh, Look, Greg Williams is an extremely self-confident guy. He's got a, you know, a three-decade, four-decade resume uh, in terms of uh, backing knowledge. So he, he'll know what makes the most sense to hide cornerbacks when it comes to blitzing, uh, exotic blitzes. Uh, you know, he, he's the king of bringing safeties and corners to blitz. Uh, I think that's effective you know, in the short term. That is not something that can sustain for a 16-game season. If you have weaknesses at cornerback, you are going to get exposed at different parts of different games. If you're playing against, you know, a, a really good quarterback, you're probably going to get exposed a lot within the course of the game. And that can kill you. If you don't get to the quarterback consistently, get him off his spot, disrupt his, don't, don't, don't need to necessarily sack him. That's ideal, of course. But if you can't pressure him, disrupt him, uh, get him off his spot, uh, make him uneasy, with the cornerback that the Jets have, they're going to get torched i mean they are that's that's the reality of it that they are going to get beat big time if they cannot uh on the back end if they cannot get consistent pressure because you know a a, a trio of trumaine johnson Darrell roberts brian pool uh you know, it's i don't think it's in the top half i don't think it's in the top two-thirds of the nfl uh now if trumaine johnson re- returns to that very good cornerback form that we saw with the rams and greg williams then maybe they're middle of the pack. Maybe, you know, if he doesn't, and if he plays closer to what we saw uh, last year, then this is one of the worst cornerback groups, uh, bottom handful in the NFL, if that's the case. And we've already seen a, a window into these backups that they have. And I've seen, I've seen these guys. In, <laughs> this is not a particularly good group. And the Jets will put on, you know, uh, you know, positive spin publicly. Greg Williams. You know, said the other day he's got confidence in this good young group of players. But what else do you expect him to say? But you know, Joe Douglas isn't a miracle worker. 
he's you know he has done a couple good things in terms of providing a boost on the offensive line in terms of starters with Ryan Khalil and then providing a boost with uh, uh, trading for uh, Alex Lewis, which would provide depth. And the overall depth of the offensive line is much better than it was when Joe Douglas took over the job. But what is he going to do at cornerback? Because cornerbacks who are reliable don't they don't grow on trees. They don't shake free at the end of the preseason. Now, will cornerbacks be available uh, via trade or you know after getting waived? Yes, absolutely. So can the Jets kind of circle some guys in? They just brought a guy in from Detroit whose name I cannot remember. Marcus <laughs> Cooper. Yeah, they're going to. Right, they're Marcus Cooper. Okay, Marcus Cooper, is he going to help the Jets? I, I don't blame there? you for not knowing that name, just so you know. <laughs> no, well, look, I'm just trying to be real about the situation. And the, the, the reality of the situation is that, you know, a, you know a, a number one or number two quarterback is not going to be available. Uh, what, what's unfortunate for the Jets is that a team, and I know the Rams have some depth at cornerback, but a team that, that Douglas is very familiar with, Philadelphia, on paper, entering the offseason had uh, a, a lot of cornerback depth unfortunately for the eagles and as a as a you know uh, uh, as a result teams like the jets who are looking for cornerbacks the eagles corners are hurt the top they have three cornerbacks who are hurt or on the men coming back from an acl whether it's darby russell douglas coming back from a, a liz frank i, I believe uh, they had a guy uh, get hurt about a week a week and a half ago so they're down three cornerbacks or three cornerbacks who aren't right yet so uh you know if the jets can swing a deal with the eagles i mean I, kudos to joe douglas that would be unbelievable but i have a very difficult time believing that howie roseman is going to give up a premium uh you know not premium but a reliable uh cornerback given that the eagles are in line to make a super bowl run unless the payment and the, the you know the, the offer from Joe Douglas is so high that that Douglas you know can't say no. But would the Jets part with a, a second round pick for one of these cornerbacks? I, I highly doubt it. Would they part with a third round pick? I don't think so. I guess I, I never say never. But those are premium picks. You know the NFL world rounds one, two, and three are considered premium draft picks. Would you give up one of those three picks for uh, you know one of these Eagles cornerbacks? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not saying that I know one way or the other right now on August 19th, but I just think it's unfortunate for the Eagles and the Jets that their cornerbacks are hurt because I fully believe if they had their full slate of cornerbacks, Joe Douglas would be going after one of those cornerbacks and he'd be getting one of those cornerbacks. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the Jets are going to be quite active at the waiver wire uh, when it comes to acquiring more cornerbacks because you talk about the depth, you know, specifically at the position isn't very good and really the depth across the board uh, isn't that good? And that's just a byproduct of, of you know, poor drafting uh, at times. But is there a guy that's that's kind of, you know, been silently impressing in training camp that nobody's really talking about that could be a surprise to make the roster? Maybe that's at the cornerback position. Uh, maybe it's somewhere else. But is there kind of an under-the-radar surprise guy to make the roster? Well, I thought the two offensive linebackers, so, you know, edge guys, Harvey Lange and, and Bronson Kafusi. Now, I know that Kafusi uh, was around uh, – you know, the guys are good players. You know, it's it's funny because you want to take what you hear publicly, you know, with a grain of salt because you know the nature of of uh, of coaches when they're behind a podium is to you know not show all their cards. But the Jets have a needed outside linebacker. You know, we you know I I know I've been talking about it all off season. You know, they need edge help. You know, whether that means getting some help behind the line of scrimmage or getting some help setting the edge, they need help on the outside and. 
I look at a guy like Kafusi, I look at a guy like Lange. Uh Lange to me was doing terrific before he suffered a knee injury. Uh, I think about two weeks ago. And uh, you know, as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Adam Gates said that he will be back at some point this week. He's a player who was with the the Patriots last year, got into a you know a car accident, really you know sidetracked his career uh, and his life really, and he kind of got back. But to me, you know, you look at this core group of four guys. Now, Jet fans are obviously familiar with Frankie Luvu because he played what maybe 40% of the snaps last year. But Luvu, uh, Basham, Langi, Kafusi, you know, or you know, Kafusi, maybe you take him off to the side, but. Luvu, Basham, and Langley, to me, are interesting players. I, I, I don't know if all three of these guys are making the roster. Uh, I think, you know, depending on how Langley responds uh, in the third and fourth preseason game, if he plays as well as he did uh, prior uh, to him getting hurt, then I think all three of these guys deserve a spot on the roster. I don't know if they're all going to make a spot on the roster, but, you know, a guy like Basham, uh, he was an early-round draft pick. I, I want to say second, third-round pick uh, by the Colts uh, back in 2017. Uh, he, he, you know, he's a, he's an interesting player, edge, you know, setting the edge, being kind of sturdy at the point, uh, and, and maybe that's not necessarily sexy from a fan's perspective, but I'm looking at efficient areas that the Jets had on paper outside linebacker to me was one of them, and you've got this group of young, unproven type of players who have really stood out this summer that you know, deserve to make this team. And again, I don't know if all three of those guys, Luvu. Basham and Langy are going to make the team, but uh, you know they, they certainly have made a strong case to this point. So to flip around Ben's question, who do you think are uh, some guys who could be uh, candidates to be a surprise cut, guys who uh, fans might think have a pretty good chance of making the team? Maybe they were a high draft pick recently or uh, some, something like that. A player who you think that uh, could be a surprise cut who fans aren't really expecting? Well, I'm curious to see how, how they decide on the, the running back position because – You've got an established veteran uh, that they brought back in Bilal Powell, uh, and you've got uh, two Mike McCagney draft picks in Trenton Cannon and Eli McGuire. Uh, it's funny because Eli McGuire to me is very much like, uh, at least you, you, you think that he would be very much like Bilal Powell, uh, you know, that type of player. Cannon offers special teams, right? Kick returning, fine. I mean, maybe you can find another kick returner. He's, he's good as a gunner. I, mean, I think that's sometimes not really discussed, but, you know, that's, a, you know, something that is a consideration. Uh, I don't think all three of those running backs are going to make the, make the team. Uh, Powell is a smart player, and I think if it were me, if Ty Montgomery were not on this team, I would keep Powell. You know, to me, Powell is very much like what Frank Gore could be uh, for Adam Gase. You know, Frank Gore, older player. I mean, clearly Frank Gore is a much better, more accomplished player than Bilal Powell. I'm not saying, you know, those guys are similar in that respect, but just in terms of having a, a veteran guy, a smart guy at that position who Gates can trust. I think Bilal Powell falls under that category, but you've got two veterans now. You've got Bell, you've got Montgomery. Do you really need a third older running back or does it make more sense to keep McGuire and or Cannon? Uh, I, you know, as much as I like Bilal Powell, I just think the way that this roster is constructed with those top two running back spots already locked up with Bell and Montgomery, I think you take the other guy. I think you take Eli. Uh, I think you take Cannon. Maybe you take both. But, uh, you know, Powell obviously does not offer special teams help. So, you know, that to me will be interesting. To, you know, I, I, I just think that, again, if Montgomery were not a part of the equation, I would say that it's a no-brainer just knowing how Adam Gase thinks. Uh, you know, 
having those smart veteran guys at running back, you know, he'd be a no brainer. You know, you know I, I hate to get on a tangent for a second, but you know, people down in Miami always ask, well, why did Frank Gore play and Kenyon Drake didn't play as much? Kenyon Drake is the more dynamic player, is the younger player. Well, you know, I don't know if it's out there or not, but the, the reality is that the case trusted Frank Gore not to have a lot of negative plays. You know, maybe he might have only had three yards to carry. I don't remember what the exact numbers were last year for him, but you, you didn't see him lose, you know, two, three, four yards. And, and, and Drake, uh, sometimes, you know, you got behind the sticks early. And because, uh, because uh, the quarterback position wasn't really solidified, you know, having you know, Ryan Tannehill uh, at, you know, second and 13 isn't necessarily the same as having a guy like Sam Donald second and 13. So, I mean, that was, you know, the thought process behind why uh, Adam Gase leaned a little bit more on Gore than Kenyon Drake. Now, he played Kenyon Drake a lot, but, you know, there was always this, like, this sentiment down in Miami, well, why, you know, why isn't Drake the bell cow? Why isn't he the three down back? He, he, he's younger, more athletic, more dynamic. Uh, and the answer to that, qu- to that question was because uh, he didn't gain the full trust of, uh, of Adam Gase, whereas the veteran did. So, again, if Montgomery were not, were not part of the equation, I think that Gase, uh, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, he would he would keep Bilal Pell. And maybe in the end, he won't keep Bilal Pell anyway. I just think that that might be a little bit overkill, given that you've got the two veterans ahead of him. Yeah, certainly a guy who wouldn't be a surprise cut would be kicker Taylor Bertolette. Obviously a position that the Jets have struggled with, you know, since they let go of Jason Myers, and that's obviously a decision that, that you've written about uh, and that, that many Jets fans uh, have questioned. Uh, we'll get through this quickly because I know you have to go and we have some fun questions we want to wrap up with. But what do you think the Jets' plan at kicker is? Do you think they're just going to keep Bertolette until, you know, after week four of the preseason so they, they can sign somebody at the waiver wire? Do you think they're looking at a guy like Matt Bryant who's still in the, the open market, maybe Cody Parkey who has experience with Gaze? What exactly would you surmise Joe Douglas and Adam Gase's plan is uh, at kicker? Well, I think they're just kind of in, uh, you know, wait and see mode and let's see if Bertolette does well in practice today and well, they're not practicing today, but the next practice and just kind of take it practice by practice. I disagree with this philosophy wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, I think you, there's, there's plenty of people to blame for the current kicking situation. Mike McCagnan. I don't think it's uh, fair to absolve Adam Gates from uh, responsibility. He, he was the head coach during free agency. If he wanted to pound the table for Jason Myers, he could have done so. So, uh, you know, I think he's partly culpable as well. The only guy I guess he can absolve from any blame would, would be Joe Douglas because he wasn't around. Uh, I just think it's astounding that the Jets have had three Pro Bowl and or All-Pro kickers in their history. Uh, one of them was Jason Myers. They let him go because they didn't want to pay him $5.5 million over a multi-year deal. Uh, instead, they signed, what, Canton Zero for about $2.5 So you're talking about essentially saving about $3 million over a two-year period for a guy who clearly wasn't the answer. And I don't understand, and I haven't gotten a straight answer from anybody that I've asked uh, publicly and privately, why isn't there a kicking competition? What is the downside? They have two punters in camp, for God's sakes. Two punters. They've got a punting competition. Lock Edwards, to me, was good last year. I mean, I'm not a punting expert by any stretch of the imagination. Michael is. uh, (laughs) I agree. He's very good. I don't know. he seemed fine, right? I mean, I, he wasn't a terrible kicker or terrible punter. Uh, but for whatever reason, if you want to move on from him and you want to bring in Dar, who Gase is more familiar with, then fine. Then bring Dar in. But the idea of having 
a punting competition when there isn't any kind of like tangible reason why yet ignoring the this incredible deficiency at kicker that anyone can see uh is really odd to me there, there's no downside when they when they worked out uh these kickers a few weeks ago and they ultimately signed Bertolette I would have signed two of them Blewett Walsh whoever I would have brought in two of these guys for the remainder of camp um the Jets were obviously thinking, well, we'll let Bertolette kick every day, kick every day in the next preseason game. Uh, you know, if he really does poorly, maybe we'll bring in another guy. Otherwise, we'll just wait to see kind of who shakes free. You know, they made a they made an inquiry to this uh, Baltimore kicker and punter Vedvik before you know Minnesota gave up a fifth round pick. That you know, look, I don't blame Joe Douglas for that or Adam Gates for that. I would not give up a, a fifth round pick for a kicker or punter. But Minnesota did that. You know, the you know the ripple effect for that is. Dan Bailey is he going to shake free? Uh, you know, Dan Bailey's the guy who worked after the Jets last year. I actually thought that they were going to sign him, but uh, they ultimately didn't. I think there's maybe some financial reasons for that, uh, so they could bring him back. But then you have to ask yourself the question: Well, why would why would Minnesota give up a fifth round pick to get in another kicker to replace Dan Bailey? There's there's got to be a reason. He must not be kicking well right now, which is obviously the case. So you know you're bringing in another guy who might be a little bit shaky. It's it's just you know. It's got to be maddening for people in the building, for fans, people who followed the team. Kicker was one of the spots that you had secured last year. I know people will say they didn't get Myers until late in the preseason, so let's just do that again. And my response to that is just because you, you caught lightning in a bottle and you got lucky last year doesn't mean you're going to get lucky this year. And I would also say to that, there's no reason to suggest that Myers can't continue being good this year and that it was only a one-year fluke my position with kickers has always been yeah they're up and down they're like relief pitchers right you don't really kind of know what you're going to get from them uh over time but you ride them while they're hot and the last i checked jason myers was hot right for the jets he was he was kicking really well so you bring him back this year uh you pay him five and a half million dollars they had a you know immense amount of money and you ride him until you, he gives you a reason not to ride him. And if that ultimately means that you made a mistake by giving him $5.5 million over you know, uh, two, three years, then so be it. But the idea of walking away from a guy who had been good the last time you saw him at kicker, to me, is not the, you know, the, the smart thing to do. All right, Manish, we'll close with a few fun questions and then top it off with kind of like a, a long-term question because I know you have to go. Uh, so we'll start it off. This is a pretty broad question, and if you don't have an answer, it's completely understandable. But the Jets obviously have a lot of big personalities on this team. You know, Quentin Williams has obviously been so far a pretty great interview, and, and Jamal Adams and, and whatnot. You know, and I know there's been limited, you know, one-on-one time with this new regime, but do you have any sort of um, interactions that stand out to you with, with a player on this team uh, so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh... – there's a couple. Uh, I guess let me let me go right through real quick through uh, Jonathan Harrison. So I had this like 1,500-word story written about Jonathan Harrison. Uh, the guy is like a like I, I know that Kirk Cousins has come out and talked about his new center and how how much he sweats. I can assure you that nobody sweats more than Jonathan Harrison. He actually had to have his pants changed in the middle of practice. The equipment guys went into the locker room, got him a dry set of pants because he was like soaking through his pants. It was really disgusting. <laughs> but uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's an interesting personality. He's a, uh, and I know that uh, Gates has said this publicly. Uh, he is a pro's pro, uh, you know, having Khalil come in and really take his spot at this point and, and being relegated to a backup position. 
uh, you know, a lot of guys could react a lot of different ways. Uh, he has been exceedingly, uh, you know, positive uh, about the quote-unquote demotion. Uh, you know, this is a guy who thought he was going to get an opportunity here, and it looked like for a long while that he would. But, uh, you know, but circumstances changed. Uh, he's just a, he's an interesting guy. You know, he's a terrific locker room guy. Everybody in the locker room will tell you. Uh, the most interesting guy that, that I talked to that we don't typically discuss is Tom Compton. He is a dry sense of humor. Uh, I actually recently talked to him uh, and did a story about how he was in Sharknado 3. I don't know if you guys have seen it. <laughs> Didn't win any awards. Sharknado 3 got a 4.1 on IMP2. Uh, Out of 100? Uh, or no, 10. see, I, well, I, I, <laughs> I mentioned that to Compton. I said, you know, that movie's got a 4.1. He's like, out of 5? I was like, no, no, it was out of 10. It was a 10. <laughs> I mean, there, I mean, there's like a lot of cameos, and there's like a Mark Cuban's in that movie. You know, it's a, it's a terrible movie. I can't. I, I mean, I, I, I felt it's complete, complete garbage. But he's got a, a cameo in it. Uh, it was actually supposed to be a role that Kirk Cousins was going to get supposed to have. Cousins had to cancel the night before. He called up Compton, who was with the Redskins, teammates with him, uh, gave him his lines. Uh, he texted him his lines. He had like 10 lines with Michelle Bachman, you know, the former congresswoman who ran for president, uh, you know, a few years back, right outside the White House. And he has an IMDb credit. He's, you know, he's an extremely interesting guy. He's got a dry, really a dry sense of humor. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit more. But he's a versatile player, clearly, because he, he learned a new position uh, after he signed. He was the backup center. And then when Khalil came and the dominoes fall, fell, he went back to right guard. He started 14 games. Uh, at, in the interior for uh, the Vikings last year, so uh, and he might be a valuable piece. You know, we'll see if Brian Winters is, is starting uh, when Week One rolls around. Uh, you know, my understanding from a few weeks ago was that uh, you know they're going to be really cautious with Winters in the pre for the rest of the preseason. In other words, not playing uh, so that he would be ready for Week One. But you just never know, and so there's a possibility that Compton can get a lot of run. But just in terms of personality, he's a guy that I really didn't know much about uh, prior to him signing with the Jets to. Uh, who's <laughs> a pretty interesting guy to say the least. Yeah, so the Jets obviously do have a ton of interesting personalities on the team. Now we know Tom Compton is one of those. You have Jamal Adams. You have uh, plenty of guys on this team with very interesting personalities. So I ask you as a guy who knows more about this than anybody, which Jet do you think would make the best beat reporter? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so I guess the, the quality would be who's the most inquisitive. Uh and he's also not afraid to piss people off. So that's another interesting quality. I would say wow, that's a great that's a great question. Um let me go with uh you know what? I'm gonna go with Jamal Adams, and I have a good reason. Because Jamal Adams is not afraid to ask the tough questions. If you have a discussion with Jamal Adams, uh privately, you know, not you know, not for a story, but you just have a discussion. He will not shy away from asking some of the tough questions, private questions, sometimes over the line, I would say, when he's talking, to, at least to me, uh, over the line, <laughs> you know, joking, of course. But uh, he's an inquisitive guy, and I think he's also a guy who's very engaging, which you need to be as a reporter to, you know, to, to develop a rapport with the people that you're covering. And, uh, and he's pretty darn good at his current profession. So, you know, I think he's a guy who I think could succeed doing, you know, really pretty much anything he wants. So. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with Jamal. Maybe that's maybe that's a, an easy answer, but uh, uh, and I I think I said this before. I don't know if I said it to you guys, but uh, anyone who's around Jamal Adams, <laughs> well, I, I promise you can walk you'll walk away from the conversation thinking that you've, you've really never interacted with a 
with a pro athlete like him. He's uh, one of my, you know, one of my favorite guys in the locker room for a million reasons. You know, he's a, he's a, he's just like a, you know, what you see is what you get. There's a lot of players in my career that I've covered who, you know, have this image that they project when the cameras are on or when the tape recorder is rolling. But, uh, you know, when you see them in private moments, they're really not like that. Well, everything that Jet fans see from Jamal Adams, and I know they saw this uh, the other day, or actually yesterday after the scrimmage, uh, he spent about, what, an hour or so signing autographs and talking to fans after that scrimmage or after that practice was over. That's kind of who he is. And that's been my experience with being around him for, for years now, is that what, you know, he is genuinely one of the happiest people that I've ever been around, you know, pro athlete or otherwise. And, uh, you know, he, he's an engaging person. And I think to be a successful reporter, you really have to be able to connect with a lot of different types of people. And he's got that personality trait. Yeah. And, and all right, we'll, we'll fly through these last two, but obviously Jamal, I, I, seeing those videos of him staying at MetLife, you know, the lights are shutting down and he's still signing autographs was obviously something as a fan of the team was, uh, was, was awesome to see. All right. I know you're a big basketball fan. You're a big 76ers fan. Uh, who out of all the Jets beat do you think is the best hooper? Do you think it's you, or do you think, you know, maybe old man Samini could take you down? Maybe Costello uh, could body you in the paint? Yeah, come on. Let's, let's be realistic. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, he, I mean, Samini, fine. You went to Costello. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> this is what I'll say about my basketball prowess, the lack thereof now. So I tore my ACL, you know, I don't know. Eight Jeez. years ago, did Tavon uh, Campbell dive into your knee? In no, he did quarter? not. Actually, <laughs> I was driving to the basket in a thirty and over league, and uh, I kind of got pushed. Like my, I'm a point guard, so slashing to the basket's my game. So I, whatever, nobody wants to hear that. So I tore my ACL. I rehab, came back, played for like two years, and then I thought I retore it three years ago uh, on Valentine's Day of all days, and. Uh, and I didn't re-tear it, but I did kind of stretch it. So I have not played in three years. Uh, I don't think it's worth, you know, re-tearing your ACL, you know, at this point in my life. So, uh, but before I tore my ACL, uh, clearly there's there's nobody that, you know, I, I could torch anybody covering the team. That's, uh, that was pretty <laughs> obvious. Now, Samini has a good jump shot. Now, for training camp, you know, we play pickup hoops. And I was surprised. Now, he didn't play in the games, but he was shooting around on the side, like old white guy shooting around. I hate to be stereotypical. <laughs> he was making jumpers. Like, he was – I was very impressed. He and I were shooting around. and I so That's Syracuse connection. Yeah, 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 it must be. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who, if Beheim got him on the side when he was an undergrad. <laughs> but whatever it was, he, he, he does have a good jump shot. Uh, now we do have some younger guys on the on the beat now that weren't around when I when I started covering the team. I don't know if those guys can play. I would highly doubt it based on uh, my day to day observations of their athletic skill. So <laughs> I would say, uh, well, now Costello did play high school football, so yeah, I'm not saying he's not athletic, but from a basketball standpoint, uh, I think he would probably admit that that's not his cup of tea. Uh, so I would say, look, he's some, there's guys that are a lot younger now, so maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you know. Pre-injury, I think if if I played each guy on the beat one-on-one in a game up to 11 with ones and twos, uh, I would probably beat everybody by an average of like 11 to 2 or 11 to 3. Sheesh. All right. Well, you could be like Michael Jordan and come out of retirement <laughs> and well, look, continue you know, your I, dominance. I, I, 
I, I hate to I hate saying this. You know, I don't want to be Al Bundy and say I scored four touchdowns at Cole Kai uh, at once upon a time, but uh, I was on the Indi- back when you know I was in my early twenties. I was on the national champions team for this South Asian tournament that was held in Chicago, and I was the wow. starting point guard. Jeez, that, that's my claim. To- that's my claim. Well, okay, well, okay. Well, is there somebody on the team you think you could beat? Uh. That, you know, it's actually really funny because when I was younger and more arrogant, and I, some fans might be like, well, it's hard to believe that, you know, you were arrogant. But <laughs> when I was younger, on my first year on the beat, I had this – I was hell-bent on playing Mark Sanchez one-on-one. Because Sanchez, he was a good player, like a scrappy player in high school. And so we had it all set up uh, one off season. I think he was in California. I was on vacation out of the country. That we were going to meet up to play. Now, look, he would have beaten me. I mean, the guy was like a, what, 22-year-old, 23-year-old, like NFL quarterback who was a starting player in high school. He was going to beat me, but I was so determined to just see how well I could do against him. Uh, and, and it didn't happen because I think something, he, he, had, he had something to do. Like, I just remember, like, he and I were texting back and forth, and it was like I was so convinced it was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and – that actually might have been a year, to be honest. It might have been a few years into his career. It could have been the year he hurt his shoulder. I, I don't remember. But uh, uh, that's the closest I ever got to playing anyone. You know, at this stage, I, I can't. I mean, these guys would kill me. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really thought that, you know, if we paid up, played up to 11, uh, I think I told Sanchez I could get, like, 7 or 8. I, I, I kind of knew I wasn't <laughs> going to win. But I figured that maybe I could at least, at least get, like, 7 or 8 off him. Well, maybe it's good you didn't play because if you hurt him in a game, I think you might have <laughs> lost your job. Look, I, Look, let's just be honest. Like, I, I, the guy was probably going to destroy me. I kept it respectable. All right, last question. Uh, I thank you so much for staying. I know we, we went a little long. Uh, obviously, a lot of hype surrounding this team. A lot of hopeful Jets fans. This is a team that that uh, that we Jets fans haven't really seen for for a while. A team of this caliber. Uh, what's your record prediction for 2019? You know, can the Jets dethrone the Pats this year? Is this the year? Do you believe in Adam Gase and and this new offense? Just kind of just to close it out. Your you know maybe maybe it's going to be a downer, but hopefully not. Your you know overall prediction for for 2019. I think uh, you know, let's barring any kind of significant injury here in the third preseason game, uh, and and uh, so I'm putting a couple caveats. That's one caveat. The other caveat is uh, this offensive line is going to be relatively healthy and you know it's not a long-term thing for these interior linemen I don't think it is you know I actually think assembly is going to be fine Brian Winters is the bigger question mark uh and obviously there's an unknown with Khalil but uh if the offensive line doesn't fall apart uh I think this team will win nine games uh I, I predicted 10 in back in March I think it was uh I think they're going to win nine that means they're going to be in the playoff hunt in December that to me is a successful season. Uh, even though I'm picking nine, if they if they go eight and eight, I don't think that's a successful year. And maybe I'm in the minority. You know, I'm not saying that's a failure because I don't believe that's a failure per se. But just given the fact that they've got an offensive-minded coach who I think is you know an extremely smart, creative guy, given the fact that Darnold is now in his second season, given the fact that they added C.J. Mosley, they they drafted Quinn and Williams, they added Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Jamison Crowder, a lot of good pieces, uh, now a smart veteran center for Sam Darnold. You know, all of those additions to me mean that they are good enough to win nine games, maybe even ten games. Uh, 
So if they if they fall short of that, I'm not saying uh, short of the playoffs is a failure because I think 97 is not going to get them in. But uh, it'll be you know it'll be nipping tough pretty close uh, in the in December, and I think that's really all you can ask. I just think that look, if they go eight and eight, that that's that's not good enough. And that look, no one's getting fired. Adam Gates is not getting fired, of course. Uh, and they're they're going to continue you know, building uh, and adding pieces. And and Joe Douglas is going to have his first free agency class. He's going to have his first draft to build on that. But uh, just given the additions that they made, this should be a nine-win team. Uh, I, I, you know, ultimately, does that mean that's good enough to win the division? Again, I don't think it's good enough to make the playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots, but I've been pretty adamant about saying that I think that Sam Darnold will have the best season among the quarterbacks in this division, and it's blasphemy for most of uh, uh, the Patriot nation because how could you say he's better than Tom Brady? I think that you know, he, Tom Brady obviously is the best quarterback that I've ever seen in my life but uh, you know for me I, I don't believe he will play 16 games uh, I know Patriots fans want to think that he can play until he's 50 uh, I'm not one of those people that doesn't make me a detractor or a hater because again he is the best quarterback I've ever seen uh, in my lifetime but uh, I think that Sam Darnold is going to make a significant jump in his second season he will play the best among the quarterbacks in this division and, uh, and whether that's good enough to win the division or not remains to be seen. But the team is clearly, in my mind, barring significant injury to key players like Mosley, Adams, and Darnold. If those three pieces stay healthy, I think this team, uh, even with some of the deficiencies we talked about specifically at the cornerback position, I think this team uh, should be a uh, above 500 team. And if they don't finish above 500, again, not a failure, but I would not view it as a successful season, regardless of the fact that they've only won 13 games of previous three seasons. Manish, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for staying a little late there. Uh, sorry about that. But again, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not following Manish, I, I find that very hard to believe. But you can follow him at mmedamydn on Twitter. You can find all his work on New York Daily News. Manish, uh, thank you so much. I'm always impressed by how insightful uh, you are, and you're truly one of my favorite people to have on any sort of podcast. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk to us. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And good luck with the new podcast. Thank <laughs> Thanks, man. And again, that was Manish Mehta with the New York Daily News. Just uh, always an awesome guy uh, to talk to. You know, great guy. Super insightful. You know, brings a lot with every answer. So really thankful to him uh, for taking time out of his day to talk to us. Um, you know, Michael, I, I don't know if you have any post, post-interview thoughts, you know, kind of a post-game press conference. But, you know, obviously – uh, just super impressed every time I talk to Manish. Yeah, he, he was just tremendous. And uh, like, like you said, the insight he gives with every single answer goes into incredible detail, much more than we were uh, expecting. We, I mean, we went way over the time that uh, we originally intended to, and he was totally cool with it. So, uh, yeah, he's amazing to have on. Just uh, it really empties the barrel, gives you everything that he can give with every single question you ask. So uh, as much as you can ask for in any guest. So I'm looking forward to, you know, potentially having him on again during the season sometime in the future, but uh, he was really good to have on. Yeah. Despite interviewing, uh, you know, a few times, there's, there's always two things. Um, I'm always, I shouldn't say surprised, but I'm always, you know, grateful for just how, you know, nice of a guy he is and, and how you know, insightful as we talked about. But the other thing is, you know, I, I always make the mistake of, I think last night I put in about 35 questions in this doc for an hour interview. And I think we got through 12 in an hour and then another four and 20 minutes. And every time that's happened. So we're literally like mid interview, cutting stuff out and, you know, reorganizing, trying to make something that flows, but it always works with him. Awesome guy to have on. Uh, and again, really grateful to him. 
Uh, so you can follow our podcast at CYJ Pod on Twitter. I run that account. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny. And you can follow my personal at Ben W. Blessington. Going to start tweeting from there uh, more often. You can find this podcast pretty much right now anywhere you listen to podcasts. You know, iTunes, uh, Spotify, uh, Google. Um, we're still working getting on a, you know, a few other places. It still has to be approved by, you know, iHeart and Stitcher and whatnot. But, you know, over the next few weeks, we should be, you know, on, on pretty much every single platform you could like. It's also on like PodCoin, some of those other uh, streaming platforms. And you can also find our podcast at turnofthejets.com. It's the best place to go, hands down, for, for Jets content. Terrific podcast articles uh, and just overall great content by the guys at TOJ. Really, you know, really happy to be a part of it. So again, follow us at CYJ Pod. You can check us out at turnofthejets.com or you can just look us up at Cool Your Jets. Oh, and before I forget, uh, reviews and ratings on iTunes. If you have just a quick moment to, to write one, you know, give us uh, a rating out of five stars. It, it really means a lot to us and it just helps us out because we're a relatively new feed. And, you know, I think it's something like iTunes gives you six months where those ratings mean a lot and you get promoted. Well, I don't know. I understand it, but it just does help us out. And, you know, it's, it's always nice to get good feedback. And, and, you know, we take negative feedback as well. If there's something about this podcast you don't like, you think we should change. Uh, we're always open to yours. Just tweet us at CYJ open to yours open ears there we go i got it uh, just tweet us at cyj pod um all right well that'll do it for us um i guess i guess really quickly we should just add saturday night uh the jets play the saints third preseason game of the season michael really quickly as we're as we're closing uh, down here what are you looking to see and just uh you know kind of a, a prediction for for saturday night well first thing that came to mind when you said that was i'm thinking the punting battle and uh Lachlan Edwards dominated Matt Dar in that Falcons game. I think his net average was like six yards higher. So hopefully the Jets open their eyes. And and even Manish brought it up. That why are we having a punting battle, no kicking battle? But uh, honest, honestly, though, uh, that is an interesting battle to keep an eye on because uh, just being completely honest here, Lachlan Edwards has been solid. He's improved, but he's, he's not elite. He can still get better. I think he has uh, the ability to be a lot better. So I'll be keeping an eye on that and uh, just just injuries and Le'Veon Bell that that's been the big news this week. Uh, the fact that he's not going to be playing at all. So uh, just just stay healthy. That's really the big thing. And just just to see the starting offense continue to play well, uh, can just keep the, keep up the momentum that they built in the first two games. And the defense, too, has been playing good. The starting defense, which is uh, really sure, reassuring when you look at uh, how bad they've been beaten by the offense in practice. So uh, just to see a little bit more momentum, keep that going. Uh, from the starting units and staying healthy top two things easily yeah i'm really interested to see you know how much the starters play you know when we've seen the starters they've looked you know especially in offense they've just looked like a well-oiled machine you know a lot of times in these third preseason games you know i think the the status quo for a while there was you know third preseason game you know your starters play a half or even three quarters or whatnot i don't really think that's necessary you know god forbid sam darnold or, or robbie anderson or you know even jamal adams goes down with injury i think you know, I'd play him maybe a quarter, maybe, you know, a quarter and a half or whatnot, but I don't really think it's necessary. I think this is more uh, important for the depth guys. Um, you know, as many kind of talked about the fact that Sam Darnold in this offense seems to have picked up the scheme and even the defense, um, but but more so with the offense, they've seemed to have picked up the system, um, you know, really well. They seem comfortable. They just seem ready for week one. So why risk any, you know? Yeah, and, and I know I said that I want to see the momentum keep going, and that'd be nice. But, I mean, we, we've seen in two straight preseason games, both units just look sound, and the results have been good. But uh, just the overall process and how, how they've just looked executing everything on both sides of the ball, it, it's looked good. So it doesn't really seem like there's much more that needs to be ironed out. Just, just to stay healthy is what's uh, the main thing. 
yeah, again, win loss doesn't matter. Just no injuries. Hope they play well. Uh, and I guess I hope I, I see another Sam Darnold touchdown because it's going to have to last me uh, a few more weeks because we are how many days are we away from uh, week one days. against Buffalo? Twenty days. Twenty days. So we're tw- well at the time of this recording. Yes. Uh, so we're recording on the nineteenth of uh, Monday. So we're twenty days when this comes out. It'll be nineteen, eighteen days uh, from week one against at Buffalo. So uh, I kind of hope that Sam Darnold throws a touchdown Saturday night. Uh, just just that holds us over uh, until week one. Uh, against Josh Allen. But again, thank you so much for listening. Again, thank you to Manish Mehta. Uh, really appreciate it. Let's hope the Jets stay healthy, play well, and I guess, let's see uh, Sam Darnold throw a touchdown. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in. Touchdown, C.J. Mosley. 